Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman, and I'm so thrilled to have my friend and colleague, Dr. Sasha Hines. Sasha and I went to Columbia together. She is so incredible and her knowledge about positive psychology in particular and delving into the benefits of expansive emotions, as she calls them, positive emotions that we know are highly associated with resilience and thriving. And we're also talking about the other side of positive emotions, the toxic positivity that we see a lot of on social media, for example, that fails to notice the real range of emotions that are so important to our human experience. And toxic positivity tends to be catchphrases and forced positivity that doesn't give permission for having different kinds of feelings. We're talking about the pitfalls and traps we can fall into when we're in a well-meaning way trying to promote optimism and might use phrases that undermine our intentions. If you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to write a little review, subscribe, give a rating, and of course, always DM me with questions or comments on my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. Positive psychology is merely describing one little branch of this larger field of psychology. And there are many branches on the tree, including, Mm -hmm. you know, our field of developmental psychology, also, you know, organizational psych, social psych, cognitive psychology, et cetera. Abnormal. Um, Abnormal psychology, you know, Mm -hmm. clinical psychology. There's like, so, you know, so many different fields you know, and, and positive psychology is merely one of them. So I think that there, when really it was the point of positive psychology was to address this imbalance at the time. And this was sort of late nineties to address this imbalance of research dollars and focus on disease disorder and dysfunction Mm -hmm. to say, okay, hold on. We need to balance this here. We need to focus on what makes life worth living right? Why, why, what is it that everyone wants is happiness, well-being, thriving, connection, love. Why aren't we studying it rigorously as its own field in psychology? So that's really how it began. But I think it was really intended to be kind of a writing of the ship um, as opposed to this own special little enclave. Positive mm-hmm. emotion is one aspect of it, but it's ti- it's a small aspect in a much 
more complex. I mean, the question of what makes life worth living, you know, philosophers, theologians, pretty smart people over the millennium have been trying to ask this question. So, you know, the idea that I think that that's really what positive psychology, it's trying to apply the scientific method to some of these larger philosophical questions about what makes a good life? What is the good life? You know, and these are questions that Aristotle was asking and the Stoics and, um, you know, Rumi and all these and and other um, various religious traditions, both Eastern and Western. So, you know, it's just applying the scientific method to some of these larger questions. And I think, you know, my concise science definition of positive psych would be it's this, the study of the causes and correlates of well-being. Now, and thank you, because I think that is a really concise. But that's it. But that's like the shortest version of it. But, yeah. you know, that that is well-being is incredibly complex. It's not mm-hmm. just feeling good. And not to be confused with wellness, again, that can get misinterpreted. Um, Absolutely. So I, I want to kind of touch on the, the misinterpretations, not to have a negative lens. Because, you know, another thing to point out is when you're a developmental psychologist, I really think already your lens is colored a little rosier because you're looking at development without an approach of pathology, psychopathology. Like you're not, mm-hmm. you're not looking at it to find something wrong, although you're using what works to see what is not working. But then take it to another level when you think about positive psychology and now you really can look at this well-being lens without being interrupted by what's going wrong or focusing on what's going wrong. But it is in the service of, like, I think the reason that I'm pointing that out is because I want to hear you say that it matters for everyone, not just as a luxury. Oh, I mean, I think that here's the thing. It's like life in and of itself goes wrong everything goes wrong. I mean, we are finite beings in a very uncertain world. We are very vulnerable beings in a very uncertain world. So that is the premise of all of the study of psychology is the understanding that, you know, we are very vulnerable creatures. We are, we are threat animals. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I think that the like magic of Homo sapiens is that we've created community and culture and education in these institutions and and we've we've built buildings and engineering and all of these incredible feats of mankind and and that is sort of this magic of this the species that we are it's the good and the bad right also mm-hmm. we create our own problems as well but understanding what is it about this animal, this human animal that has this desire to create, to have meaning, to belong to something bigger than themselves. This is profound. And, you know, life goes wrong. That is the very nature of life. It is fragile and and uncertain. And yet, there's so much beauty in it. And yet we find so much meaning and love and connectedness and positive emotion and awe and inspiration and all of these wonderful things. So the fullness of the human experience, you know, incorporates both 
devastating feelings and these elate, like, you know, sort of zestful, elated, you know, expansive feelings as well. And we have to study both. We have to understand, well, we don't have to study anything, but you know, <laughs> those of us that are nerdy, <laughs> we love to study. We, we need to study both. We need to understand what they both have to offer because, you know, why are we here? Why are we, why do we do this? Why do we wake up every day and keep plodding along? Today's episode is sponsored by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. Osea puts your health and the health of our planet first with potent skincare and body care solutions that are pure, safe, and effective. Their skin-nourishing products are made entirely of plant-derived ingredients, are non-toxic, and a good choice for moms-to-be. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. And the entire line is built on these four pillars from botanical sources around the world. And each product is infused with sustainably sourced organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals that create a nutrient and mineral-rich bioavailable base. Plus, Osea is founded and run by a family of women Osea can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance, whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions. And every product is sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love in California. Go to oseamalibu.com slash raisinggoodhumans for $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more free shipping for U.S. orders over $75 and free samples with every order. Hey guys, I'm Maddie Orlando. And I'm Lauren Orlando. As you probably guessed, we're sisters. And we're also co-hosts of the podcast, The Sister Diary. Every week, we let our listeners into real-life conversations like the ones that we have at home. We have an eight-year age gap, so we always have a different perspective on things, but that makes it pretty fun. We talk about navigating life, growing up on social media, and pretty much anything else that we find interesting. You can catch a new episode of The Sister Diary every Friday. So in a time like this, when even people who didn't experience, let's put this on the table. Nobody gets out of huma- like being a human with no negative experiences and emotions, period, the end, no matter how, yeah. ble- no matter how blessed. Now, I think it's just getting more highlighted. And for some people, they haven't experienced this much uncertainty or or a sense of being dysregulated or out of control before. And for other people, they're like, yep, this is, this makes sense. Yeah. So for- They're like, this is not my first rodeo. Yeah. (laughs) Have you met my family? Yeah. (laughs) So given that, you know, there are two things. One is we want to understand these kind of ways of being and, and how to thrive. And also how are we, interpreting and defining the range of human emotions in front of, for, and with our children so that they do grow up with no sense that any feeling inside of them should be put away or rejected. Mm -hmm. And this is like, now I'm, I'm, I'm worried we're too philosophical. So from a practical standpoint, maybe there's a different way to look at this, which is practically speaking, 
How does positive psychology influence raising kids? Well, I mean, I think that the, the the mistake is that we think, oh, it just needs to be a positive. Like positive psychology is giving us, telling us, right? It's what it's telling us is that it's better to be positive. And right. it's like, okay, okay, no. okay <laughs> sort of, not really. Mm. No, what it's saying is that, I mean, there is some science and we can get into it um, and we should get into it on the science of positive emotions and how positive emotion begets positive emotion. It kind of creates this, this flywheel, right? This like flourishing, um, it, it creates more flourishing. So it is very important to cultivate what I would call, and I'm really careful about this in my practice with my clients. Like, I just want to call them expansive emotions. Like, let's just get out of this whole positive and negative paradigm because it's so unhelpful. But expansive oh, I, emotions. I love expansive emotions versus thinking positive. Yeah. And we can talk about why I call them expansive emotions because the positive emotions do something very specific and negative, emo- negative, difficult emotions. Let's call them difficult emotions and expansive emotions. Difficult emotions also do something very specific and very important. Mm-hmm. And expansive emotions do something that are very specific and very important and they're different but they're equally important. So I think that, you know, every parent, you say, what do you want for your kid? I want my kid to be happy, but Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't, you want your kid to thrive and what you want your child to have meaning. Yes. You want your child to have a meaningful life. A happy life is an anemic life. (laughs) (laughs) It's not what you want for your child. It's not, it's not funny. It's just a beautiful way of putting it. And you have hit on something so important. I want to take more time with it, which is let us all take a beat and think, what do I want for my child? And how many of us will say, I just want them to be happy. Even if we don't mean that because deep down, we're thinking of a whole other range of things about what happiness actually means. And it means something different for everyone. So, So keep going. But I think positive psychology, the thing that it has done which has been so valuable is it's given us a language to talk with more specificity and more sophistication about what's the good stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, and not lumping it into like, yeah, I just want to be happy. Mm -hmm. But actually thinking about, well, what does that mean? What is well, like when I'm saying my, you know, I want to well-being, what am I saying? What is that actually, what are the components of that? What is that, you know? And I think recognizing that positive emotion is a piece of it, but so also is a sense of engagement and flow and being fully absorbed in a hobby or work or any activity. It's absolutely essential to thriving. Positive relationships. You cannot have safety, positive attachment, all of these things that we could get into, can't have any of those things without healthy relationships, period, right? right. Cornerstone. Then, and by the way, emo- I mean, relationships, like how complicated are those, right? Lots of not difficult feelings come up in relationships. And then, you know, another component of well-being is meaning and purpose, an essential piece of it. And then also achievement, which I think is slightly, for me, is the more controversial aspect of it when you're talking to a group of high achieving people, which, but, which anybody listening to a podcast called raising good humans is, <laughs> yeah. is in the category of high achieving. Yeah. And I think you and I both, I mean, for God's sakes, we went to graduate school together. For me, it was complicated. Cause I think I, you know, I grew up in a more 
like performative, you know, have to prove yourself environment. I think that that's how I was oriented in the world. Like that's how you, you know, you got to win your A's. Um, Actually, I am glad you're specifying that because I did not grow up in that kind of with high achievement in that way. It wasn't as performative. Although interestingly, when I look at you and I think about the things that you've talked about that were high pressure Mm -hmm. for you, I have this envy, like, well, it wouldn't have been the worst thing if my parents had been like, no, you have to learn this and you have to be good at this because there was a little too much freedom for me to kind of follow my pursue my passions. And I, I feel like, ugh, you know, it wouldn't have killed them to force me to do some, to give me some skill that wasn't, you know, <laughs> whatever I felt like. To. So there must oh be a gosh. balance. And we've talked about that. Like, and I, and I want to get into that too, but let's go back to. Right. But I think, right. So I think with the achievement, what I would say is I want all of you guys to be thinking of achievement in terms, it is a essential component of well-being but I would think of it more in terms of creation. So, you know, it's not about like, you know, your CV or your accolades or, you know, what's on your resume. It's more about like, what is it that you are creating? What is intrinsically interesting to you? Like, what do you do just for the joy of it? You know, and it's this idea of sort of from, you know, completion of something to accomplish this gaining of mastery over time. It's really more about that than anything else. Because everything we do in life is a goal to some extent. You wake up in the morning, you go brush your teeth. You've now accomplished a goal, right? We're goal-oriented organisms. So, so you know, a part of, you know, that being a part of, well, the model of well-being, by the way, it's the model is called PERMA. This is Seligman's model. Mm-hmm. So PERMA stands for positive emotion, engagement. So P-E-R's relationships meaning, um, and then the A is achievement, but I would say achievement, but with self-acceptance. Right. Not achievement. Like you, you felt like came from your outside pressure of performative achievement. Right. Like I won't be loved unless I'm the best, or I won't be loved unless I do well on this or, you know, unless I make my parents proud like that, that's not what we're talking about. And how much of that turns into, I won't love myself if I don't do well on this. A lot. And a lot, you know, so I think that, that to me, that's the most, and by the way, I will add, it was the, le- the last acronym or whatever, the last letter that was added to the acronym. So mm. I, didn't, I didn't entirely agree with it, but. Yeah, no, I think it's, a, you know. I think it's a, a hard word. It could be. A I'm in the ring word. with Seligman. So, you know, I'll settle down, but like, I don't entirely, <laughs> I don't entirely agree with that aspect of it. I think that there is such a tendency to feel like love as a child, you know, love is contingent. And I think that that's contingent on what, you know, like, how do you win? This is brilliant. Edith Egger, Dr. Edith Egger says, you know, how do you win your A's? I think it's like approval, um, affection and attention, Mm -hmm. right? So for those of people who grew up in families where they, they got their approval, affection and attention from performing well, it doesn't always feel good. How do you feel when someone gives you a gift that isn't just store-bought? How much does it mean to you? For anybody who knows me, I love getting personalized gifts because I know it means there was thought put into it and care. And I'm sentimental. 
So if you like getting gifts that were made 100% for you, imagine what it feels like for someone you love to get a gift that was made 100% for them. It's more personal, more memorable, and it means more to receive it. So those are gifts to cherish. Go to vistaprint.com slash humans to get started on a personalized gift for people you love. Vistaprint specializes in unregiftable gifts, gifts so unique and personal that you wouldn't dream of passing them on. Mugs and canvas prints, photo books, and wall calendars. They're the kind of thoughtful gifts you really can't wait to give because they spark so much surprise and joy. At Vistaprint, you can also create your own personalized holiday cards, adding your photos and messages and adding special finishing touches. So rather than giving an unoriginal gift this holiday, make it an unregiftable gift with a custom gift from Vistaprint. Go to vistaprint.com slash humans to get started on your unregiftable gift. The holidays are coming up. Don't miss your chance to get an unregiftable gift. Get started today at vistaprint.com slash humans. I remember my ex-husband telling me that when he got into Harvard, his parents threw, like, got a cake and threw him a party for his friends. And he was livid Mm -hmm. because it was painful because it felt like, oh, this was not, this was not for me. Um, I probably have to cut that. But... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, no, but I mean, I think it's, I think this is such an interesting topic because it's so complex because of course we want, we want our children to, to strive and to succeed and to push themselves and to, to hit their potential. And by the way, potentials you can't ever hit your potential. Your potential is always in the future. Right. So that's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never going to live up to it. So, you know, we don't have to stress about it, but, you know, I think we all want amazing things for our, for ourselves and for our kids and for the people we love. The problem is that we make this assumption and we make a false assumption that those accomplishments in and of themselves create joy and happiness and they don't. Oh my, I have so many things that I could turn this into. And I, you know, I really want to dive in a little bit more about how do you find the balance between wanting your kids to thrive with the understanding that part of that is finding like something that lights them up, Mm -hmm. that gives them something that they want mastery over, then they get mastery, then it feels like, uh, you know, looks and smells like achievement. But, you know, how do you find the balance between supporting that and pushing to a point where it looks like you're getting your accolades and love from your achievement? Ooh, um, I don't know. What's the special sauce? I certainly haven't figured it out as a mother, but I think that, it's, it, I think it is one of the hardest things about being a parent is that you have a fully developed brain. You've, you've learned a few things over the years and you see your children being boneheads because they're <laughs> kids, because they're little and they, they don't have a developed brain and they think things matter that you know don't matter. But how did you learn that they didn't matter? By making a ton of mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, you're constantly watching what they're doing and being like, oh my God, I just want to do it differently for them. 
I just want to help them avoid this very obvious pitfall that they're about to walk into. And then you can't, right? So, because they need to learn these lessons on their own, I think. And, but I think this is the most, this is the sort of essential piece of this conversation, which is none of those feelings feel good. And we as parents get really uncomfortable when our kids don't have good feelings. Right. And so, and by the way, you know why we get uncomfortable with our kids when they're having bad feelings, because we have bad feelings about their bad feelings. Keep going. Keep going. Like that's it. We're always trying to manage ourselves. We're always trying to regulate ourselves. So our kids are having a meltdown. We're not actually, we're having a reflexive freak out internally. Our nervous system is going nuts because our kids' nervous systems are going nuts, right? And so we don't like how it feels. So the obvious answer is you need to calm down so I can calm down. Right. You need to feel better so I can feel better. How does this relate to positive psychology? Well, if we're looking at, you know, thriving and well-being, what is important? What is what are the components of that is a huge piece of it is positive relationships. So so important and the most and the problem is is that like part of having a positive healthy relationships is giving space for difficult emotions secure attachment as a child safety i mean i think the easiest way i can say this is safety comes first a child That's has it. to like your basic need of safety of, of belonging of feeling safe and secure in your environment and that's emotional safety too that has to come first right we the, what the problem is is it's what we're doing i think i see this you know all over the place and and i think i can have a tendency to want to do it too because you know it's it feels easier to be like i'm just going to think a nice thought i'm just going to be more positive about it. And then I'm not going to have to deal with all of these uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. But if I am not open to those uncomfortable feelings and I'm like, Hey, I am, I'm in on, like, I'm on the ride with you. I'm willing to feel these feelings and hold space for them and not be as scared to feel them. Right. Then I am allowing my children to have the full spectrum of their emotional experience. It's very hard to do that, you know, oh, it's going to be good. It's fall good, good vibes only, whatever, you know, all of these platitudes. What we're really saying is your difficult emotions scare me. That's right. That's right. And that we should elude, there's something to elude because why, why would anybody, why would a child think that those feelings are even something to move towards and work, you know, be on the ride with, ride that wave if our adult models want us to avoid them. Yeah. That's why I think it's such a mistake to think about, um, you know, positive psychology as its own separate little thing, because the reality is, is that it's all connected, right? You, what is to, to thrive and in life requires that we be able, I think that like the hallmark of a healthy person is their ability to process difficult feelings. That's right. And how can children learn to process those if we stuff them with just platitudes of positivity? Right. And it's not to, um, you know, I think that we don't have to, parents are like, okay, uh, what do I do? You know, it's really just allowing, because here's the cool thing about emotions. Emotions only last 90 seconds, a 90 second wave. 
So what happens is like we get all concerned about our child's emotions because we're we feel so dysregulated. Mm-hmm. And in the, as opposed to being like, okay, they're just going through a 90 second wave, a biochemical wave of all these different biochemicals that are surging through their bloodstream and they're, it's going to surge and then it's going to, you know, recede. Unless we interrupt it and make it last longer. Oh yeah. Unless we're like, oh, (laughs) we're like, let's just get in the ring with them. Right. Like you're angry. Yeah. Like I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to yell at you to stop yelling. Right. We've all done this. That's actually a very important point. I mean, it happens less with toddlers because we have a little bit, even when we get frustrated, their, their little faces kind of pull us out of it. But with teenagers, that 90 seconds, if you can just find an activity to do in your own head to regulate yourself during that 90 seconds of unleashing, it will be 90 seconds. Yeah. Rather than turning it into a massive battle. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this is exactly the point. It's like it positive psychology does not mean no, let us not ever feel negative, negative emotions are terrible and we shouldn't feel them. It's like, no, no, no. All the emotions are very important. We developed them for a reason. It was merely to address this imbalance of studying, just emphasizing pathology more than we were studying health. And it just meant that we didn't have as full a picture of when things go right. Mm -hmm. So that was harder for us to help people move in that direction. So let's let's talk a little bit about the positive direction that you can move into or mm-hmm. the optimism when just to try to keep it practical, as you said, so if parents are sitting there, so then like, what do I do? So let's say a child is upset and they have to have that 90 seconds and we can give them the wordless communication, which is especially with older kids, the you know one of the most powerful tools, which is just that we're there. We believe they can live through that 90 seconds. And so we don't need to talk them out of it. And we may not even need to talk them through it. We just, just being there is allowing for that space to feel safe, to then be able to move on to maybe the next step, which could go into something positive or could go into a more optimistic view of potential, future potential of things changing. Yeah. Kids have been adapting to a lot of changes this year. And with some creative problem solving, a lot of creative problem solving, we've all discovered new ways to tackle life's day-to-day. Make the end of the year a start for something new. And while this holiday season may look a little different, there's still lots to celebrate and moments of wonder and discovery for children. Gifts that spark wonder are wonderful ways to engage kids. Kiwi Crate is seriously fun and innovative, and you can share new discoveries with everyone on your holiday list. Check out the Doodle Crate we did. It invites young designers to experiment with art and design techniques. Every month, there's a new hands-on project. It can be hard to find new creative ways to keep kids busy while stretching their brain. And sometimes it's nice to have some materials out there that can give them a little bit of a start. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. 
There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code HUMANS, H-U-M-A-N-S, at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com, promo code HUMANS. So I think step one is regulate yourself and give kids and teenagers the space to have their emotional event. What's step two? Well, I mean, I think one thing that I, and this is not necessarily positive psychology oriented, but I think one thing that I definitely did not get right in those early years of parenting um, is when you're in distress or when people are in distress, like we are wired to see threat faster than we see anything else. That's the way that the human brain is wired. It's, right. You don't look so, at the rainbow. You you or you want to look for the tiger, not the rainbow. A hundred percent. Like that's that makes sense, right? That's what kept us alive. So I think one of the things that I really recognize, I'm like, oh, I did not do this very well because I just didn't know better. And that is when instead of having like the long talk about how what what went wrong and how it could have been better what i'm trying let me you know trying to correct behavior just trying to help a kid move through that as fast as we can right like you're in you're out you're telling them what went like hey that wasn't cool let's explain why and then we're out right and then we're, we're not going to sit in it no and and like <laughs> you know not belaboring the point. And I think recognizing like, oh, right, that would be so threatening for a kid, right? Or like, I'm just deer in headlights. Like, oh my God, I'm just going to be in, I'm in trouble. Um, and, and not recognizing like, okay, part of my job as a parent is to help them move through it quickly. So they recognize, okay, because a lot of the difficult emotions are corrective, right? We need them. Anxiety yeah. is not a bad thing. I need anxiety sometimes, pretty useful. Fear, very useful. Thank you. I, I'm, you know, my children sprint out in the road, pretty happy. I feel fear. You know, it makes me move like a gazelle across the street to go get them, right? So I'm appreciative of the way that my brain is wired to keep me alive and my loved ones alive. You know, all of our, can you imagine a life without feeling grief and sadness? No yeah, no, it's like a dystopian horror. It's like a horror show. Like I can't even imagine it. Like grief can be so beautiful. And so I think, you know, it's just unthinkable to me. It's like to not feel just absolutely ripped in two when the person and someone you love, you lose them, right? It's just it's 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 like unthinkable that you wouldn't feel that way. So, you know, that's not we don't want this kind of perfect world. But I think a, you know, helping kids move through it faster, you know, so important and something I don't think I really understood. And then when we're talking about, you know, positive emotions, I think the way to really think about positive emotions, I think can be useful is, you know, it's like investing in the bank, you know, you're putting coins in the bank so that you are um, helping your nervous system to be more regulated when the chips are down, Right on the rainy day, in the moment when things get hard or when something erupts and someone says something, you know, with ed edginess or someone blows it and they do something they shouldn't have done or whatever mm. it is, right? That if we have been cultivating 
actively cultivating positive emotion in our life, we have more resources to not lose our mind. But here's the thing that's really cool is that there are people that are different. And this is why positive psychology is so important because we want to make a blanket statement like happiness is better. Cheerfulness is better. No, it's Mm -hmm. not. We know that empirically that's not true. There are people who have different orientations. So some people are more oriented towards pleasure, positive emotion. Some people are more oriented towards meaning. And some people are more oriented towards flow and engagement. And and none is more right or better than the other? Nope. No, not at all. Not at all. You know, it's just the way you're wired, the, your, the, your, your temperamental, you know, your special cocktail of genes and temperament. And, and you just are someone that may find like that your sense of joy and your expansive emotions um, are found in different ways. And so for some people that might be, you know, like just, they just love to feel effervescent kind of positive emotions. That's like really Mm -hmm. their thing. And for someone else, it might be, they just can't, they love to investigate something and are just curiosity and interest for hours on end is all they, they just, that is what knocks their socks off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And those are two different temperaments, right? One may not seem quote unquote happy. But it is so true. And and we can fall into the trap innocently and well-meaning to fall into the trap of making so many assumptions about what's supposed to be going on in order to be a person who's thriving. Right. Absolutely. And and I think people just have different, you know, and we're getting much more sophisticated in our understanding of, you know, people at their best and what that actually looks like and what that actually means in an exciting way. So, you know, I think, and I, you know, the interesting thing about positive emotions and, and I won't, you know, I, I think the research that Barbara Fredrickson has done on positive emotions has just been mind, you know, mind blowing for me, um, earth shattering for the field, um, of Mm -hmm. psychology writ large, but like, um, but I think that understanding, why we have positive emotions. So, you know, we have negative emotions because of survival, right? We, you know, fight, flight, freeze. We have, uh, you know, cortisol spikes through our system and we have negative emotions because they prompt a specific action tendency. So you have a negative emotion and, you know, it's like thought, emotion, action, and that is lightning fast. It's happening so quickly. You feel fear and you are off, you are running right? Mm -hmm. You feel anger and you are ready to slug somebody, right? It's happening so fast. And that is adaptive. It's we've developed this, right? To keep us alive. It's very important. And up until, you know, the late nineties, like in the nineties, researchers in psychology, we didn't really understand positive emotion or these sort of expansive emotions at all. But Barbara Fredrickson started asking questions like, wait, what, why we, we have positive emotions. So why, why do we have them? And from an evolutionary perspective, you know, she developed a a theory called broaden and build. And the idea of broaden and build is Mm. that we have positive emotions do the opposite of ne- of like you know traditionally what we call diff- you know negative emotion or what i call difficult emotion or uncomfortable emotion is that positive emotions broaden our outlook 
right? We start to have more perspective. We Mm -hmm. see more, we're more creative. We have, you know, access to a wider range of thoughts and, and actions, and it makes us more open and receptive and creative. So positive emotions, like take the aperture of our mind and expand it. That's what they do. So, mm-hmm. you know, po- these expansive emotions, we do many things. Like if you're feeling peaceful, you might do many different, it may express itself many different ways. And so that's the broaden aspect of it. And then positive emotions also build. So they increase, you know, and build our psychological strength. So we become more resilient, right? That's like this, the, the drops in the money in the bank, mm-hmm. right? It creates a more resilient foundation, uh, a stronger foundation. You also like, it's like miracle grow for your relationships, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. we connect with other people, right? It's it's fertilizing those relationships. And then also, it also has an impact on our immunity and our physical health too, which is really interesting. So, and there's so much cool research. I mean, scores of really interesting research on on what positive emotions. And if you prompt people to feel expansive emotions versus you know, a negative emotion, how they respond and what they do. But essentially, you know, in short, really what it does is instead of seeing when you are prompted to be in a negative state, you see the tree, right? You're focusing on the detail. Mm-hmm. So it's lawyers are notoriously like the most unhappy profession. That's, that's, a, that's is that true. It is. A, yeah, it's true. Sorry, all you lawyers. I'm sorry. It is true. It's statistically true. Fascinating. We've done research on it. It's like one of the most unhappy professions. I think one of the reasons why is because they're trained to be pessimists, right? They're trained to look for what's wrong. They're looking at a contract. They're looking for the detail. They're looking for the, like the mistake, right? So when you're prompted for a negative emotion, you are looking for that, the tree. When you're prompted to feel an expansive positive emotion, you see the forest, so, you know, there's so much cool stuff that you, they, we now know, like our own race bias, right? Where we don't recognize as well faces of people of other races. Mm-hmm. That dissolves when you prompt people for positive emotion. And just to be clear, because that's what this gets back to is how do you prompt people for positive emotion without interrupting difficult emotion? Okay. Yeah. So, so that's actually so interesting to ask because the, some of the videos that they watch when they're prompting people for positive emotion, like sometimes they have some kind of funny comedy thing. So they're producing bio, you know, a chemical reaction in the body, oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine and all these wonderful chemicals that make us feel so good. But they also can show videos to people of like little puppies, like Mm -hmm. little cute little babies and stuff like that interacting. And I think it goes back to this idea of like the secure attachment, right? So, you know, ironically, like how do you prompt people to get into a positive space? You connect, you create connection. Mm -hmm. So this is why, you know, as I said, it's like such a mistake to think it's its own little enclave, this little field that's all off on the side. It's like, no, it's all related together, right? Because positive, like what's healthy development? Connection, love. Mm-hmm. Right. So they can get people into these positive states, but by just watching little videos, like it doesn't take much. And so then it, things like think like big things like are the fact that we don't distinguish faces very well of other races, that goes away. We actually become, we see 
the human race, not races, right? It's this really profound what positive emotions can do for us. And so if you're experiencing a negative emotion when you just sit and allow for a connection, then you can move forward and yes. get into the, the positive emotion, which can be healing and all sorts of things. Exactly. Exactly right. And holding space for someone when they're having, like being that secure person who, when someone is having a hard time without pushing them, moving, trying to move them out of it, right? Allowing them to like ride the wave out themselves, but letting them know that you're there, right? That helps them to then re-establish connection and quicker. Right. And again, for parents who are like, but how it is endlessly surprising how little you have to do simply being present. It doesn't mean you have to talk someone out of their feeling. It really can mean letting them know I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. That feeling you can talk about or not, but like physically you are just an available presence, a safe presence without any agenda to fix their feeling, but all of that just almost non-action, but your body lets your child know they're safe or your friend or whomever can change everything. Change everything. You know, they've done this by, um, the research was done coding people interacting. So their, their researchers are watching them through the mirror, right? They can't see the researchers, the researchers can see them and they're watching their interactions and they're coding negative and positive interactions. And what they found is in a working environment, the working groups that have a ratio of five to one or higher do the best. I mean, not just like do the best in terms of happy feelings and everybody's more collaborative, more creative, more um, generate more interesting ideas. They also perform better. So like, you know- Five to one, and and just for clarity, five expansive to one difficult. difficult. Exactly. But that's that's in colleague, that's in a work environment. So you think like that's a less trusting environment because they're not your family. So- the ratio with closer intimate people would be three to one. You want to be over three to one. And this is important to understand why. Why do you want to be over three to one? Because negative emotions are louder and stronger than positive emotions are. A clinically depressed person feels a ratio of about, I mean, this is like, we've studied this, so I'm not making these numbers up, but, um, you know, two to one. So someone who's clinically depressed feels two positive emotions to one negative emotion. If they're doing, you know, experience sampling method, which is basically like they're, you know, people are responding in real time throughout the day. What are you feeling right now? And they're answering. So Mm -hmm. the ratio is about two to one. So they're still feeling more because everybody feels more leans towards feeling better than feeling bad. I know it doesn't mm-hmm. feel that way. It doesn't feel that way because negative emotions are stra- stronger and louder, mm-hmm. but we need to have a three to one ratio to offset that negativity bias, right? So, yeah. And now how do you do that authentically? I mean, it's, I think that's the great, right? Like that is, that's the million dollar question. It's like, how do you do this in a way that doesn't feel just 
but like, but, like, oh, my mom's ticking this three. Yeah, but you know five. what? This is such an interesting thing with regard to the con- to- topic of po- toxic positivity because it's it actually is a real thing. So when you look at this algorithm, so the mathematical equation like turns into this sort of beautiful butterfly when you look at it visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it creates these kind of like looping, flourishing circles of like creativity. So like the more positive emotions are, the more this butterfly formation, you can see it visually, like it becomes more expansive and, and bigger, which makes sense because you're feeling better. But then once the ratio gets to 11 to one, so that's 11 positive interactions to one not. And not is just like, you know, doesn't mean there's a blow up. It's just like something corrective, right? Mm -hmm. Some more difficult feeling. Mm -hmm. Then the model totally breaks down. So So there's something about, you need it. You need it. There's something about the human psyche that can't handle higher than 11 to one positivity ratio. It's like our authenticity meters go nuts. We're like, something's wrong. Like, seriously, are, we start to feel unsafe again. Because we're like, something's you can't, wrong here. This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. I'm supposed to have something difficult. Yes. I'm supposed to feel a little something, something. Right. They're like, something real. is like, you know, when you're like, something is off here, you mm-hmm. know, it's like something doesn't feel right. Well, that's, so that's built into our, you know, nervous system into our, you know, wiring really to, to feel that, to be like, something's off. This doesn't feel right to me. So I think that's so interesting when you mm-hmm. think, think about it from this perspective, like, yes, we want to feel, we want to generate an environment, an ecosystem that is generative for, you know, creativity and love and, and joy and peace and, you know, inspiration and awe and all of these wonderful, expansive feelings. However, if we don't have any negative emotion, the analogy would be, we're like a sailboat, you know, without, without the rudder. Mm. You know, I hope people hear this also as a validation for why it is not just okay to be imperfect as a parent, but critical yeah. for well-being. It's essential. Essential. Because, you know, part of our net, you know, this is when we feel, you know, guilty or when we feel embarrassed or we feel um, angry. Anger is a great one. You know, it's such an important emotion. It helps to correct imbalances, injustice. It's like, it helps us to move in a better direction, right? It's like, oh, that didn't feel good. But we need to have that feeling of that didn't feel good. So let's do this. Now I might be giving you too many and I'm happy to help. Yeah. But but let's do 10 phrases that are, I want to think of 10 sort of toxic phrases, not to point fingers at anybody. And we don't even need to use the word toxic, but we could say 10 phrases that are undermining your intentions. Like look at the bright side. Ding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could be worse. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely one. Like don't feel so bad. You know, you're not, you're not as unhappy as somebody else. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, let me think of what other ones would be for toxic positivity. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, some of them can be hidden in the context of, you know, uh, those phrases we say, like, you shouldn't be angry right now. Yeah. 
Or like even just something so, you know, benign, it seems seemingly so benign is like, yeah, but think about what you have so much to be grateful for. I, yeah. Keep right? the, these are great. This is exactly what I wanted. Um, because we we all do these when you know when when we can't think of what to say and it just feels like press play on positive. Yeah, and that's not what we're talking about here. So if you can think of it, I mean, ten was a tall order. No, but um, I think that like you know, well, the silver lining—that's mm-hmm. another one we love to use. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of this like, yeah, just trying to cajole somebody out of you know, cajoling someone out of that space where they're just feeling bad, you know, they're just sad or bummed or hurt and making them feel like minimizing or diminishing that experience. You know, you can catch kids and adults doing it all the time, like beating themselves up for being for having a difficult feeling and saying, I know I've got so many amazing things that I feel great about. And I'm so lucky that this is, and it's like, no, you get to have your feeling and also hold space for silver linings. You can, both of those things can be true. And so I would say even when we're, because we're, of course, the barometer, the emotional barometer in the household as the grownups, making sure that we don't do that to ourselves, like force ourselves or cajole ourselves out of feeling like this sucks. Yeah. And I think we do it. And, you know, I, that's such a good point. I think as you know, we're inadvertently modeling behavior. Yikes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I wake up every morning with fear and trepidation, but, um, <laughs> but I think, you know, when we're saying exactly those things, like oh, I should, I shouldn't be that upset about it. Or like, oh, I should be more grateful or, you know, even those little sentences, those little phrases, you know, these kids are so savvy, they pick it up and they, they get these implicit messages, which mm-hmm. is like, oh, that's not good to be upset or, you know, you know, like count your blessings. Like, I just think they're so well-intended, but they can have such a, you know, I think they, they don't have a great impact. And here's why. What love is scientifically is a shared positive emotion. That's it. Love is everywhere. It's available all the time. So when someone is having a bad moment, and we are not meeting them where they're at. And we're like, no, no, no. Like, come on, let's shake you out of this. We're going to like, you know, buck up and it's not so bad. And it's sunny outside. Look, it's so beautiful outside. It's a great day. How can it be so bad? It's a pretty day. Whatever we're doing, to, we're not meeting the person where they're at. So we're not having, an, there's no love in the connection because we're not sharing the experience, right? So to generate love, we need to have a shared positive experience. So the love, the connect before you correct. But the reason why you want to do that is because it's giving you the highest probability of the experiencing love. Mm -hmm. And And then you experience safety and then you can correct or whatever. Right. Because then like, there's all this other neurobiology that's going on with regard Mm -hmm. to like, whether or not the person can listen, if they're, you know, if they're so activated, they can't listen. They're not able to internalize anything you're saying. It's like, you're may as well be the Muppet parent, you know? Right. And I think that that's more obvious to people as they learn about these things when it comes to the, the big stuff like anger or, you know, the things where we're like, oh, right. If I scream at my kid, they go into, they they have a no brain. And so they won't be able to hear anything, but it happens with some of the smaller stuff too. Totally. So, I mean, I just think it's like, and it's just so hopeful to me 
this recognition that love is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. I, I'm able to create love in an interaction with anyone, anytime. And that is a shared smile. That is because the mirror neurons, like our brains are actually mirroring each other. Even if I'm just smiling at the cashier at the grocery store, pre-COVID, I can smile with my eye, with I'm smizing with my eyes. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm smizing. But like, you know, if I'm having an interaction with someone where we're just having a shared smile or a laugh or any shared interest in something, a moment of awe and wonder, going to a, a game, a football game or whatever, and you're in a stadium, that's like, that's an experience of love. Everybody's sharing this expansive emotion. So when you begin to see the world like this and you recognize, oh my gosh, I have so Sorry. many opportunities. I'm only laughing because I'm like, that for you I, it is. I know, you're like, I've never had that experience in my life. Um, but you know, there's so many opportunities to create moments of love. Doing a puzzle with your child is love. That's a, that's a moment of love. You know why? Sharing interest. That's a positive emotion. So it like pulls this definition of love so vast and it makes love so big that there's no, you know, no matter what positive emotion you're sharing, there's so many opportunities to experience love with other people. So, you know, I just find this so immensely hopeful because no matter, there's so many opportunities to get it right, even when I seem to so often get it wrong. And so what, what I think is so cool is that we're not talking about erasing the optimism and hope. No. In, in fact, it's more important. It's just that it doesn't mean with that, that you get rid of the difficult. Yeah. And I mean, not to, you know, quote Bruce Springsteen here, but I'm going to, um, you know, you got to like get through the tunnel of love. You've got to get to that place where you got to go through that difficult feeling and connect so that you can emerge to this other side of the hug, the smile, the reconnection, the shared moment of love, right? That shared moment of love, which then makes safety, create like, all of those expansive emotions possible, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that this is positive psychology has made our understanding of what flourishing and positive interactions, what, what they are and how they work with so much more sophistication, it does not mean at all that we should ignore the, you know, the dark side, because I think there's so much beauty and love, even in moments that are so incredibly painful. So, you know, we all want to have, we want to we want to have the richest, fullest human experience we can. Um, I think that's the goal. And that means, and, and here's the thing. It's like when we're unwilling to feel negative emotions, then we're, it's like we keep ourselves in this tiny little repertoire, right? We were not mm -hmm. like, we, it's like we play a two note symphony. It's like, we want the full symphony. Mm -hmm. We want the, the flats and the sharps and the highs and the lows and like all of the nuances of the different instruments and all the things that are happening in as the symphony of our life, right? So we want to be able to play all of them. And so it's about, yes, cultivate positive emotion because it makes it so much easier to wait, you know, to sort of swim and, and surf those negative emotions it makes it you more resilient. It makes it easier to bounce back on the other side. Um, it helps you not sink down so low. 
you know, there's so many reasons why you want to cultivate positive emotion, but you know, the hall, as I said, from, you know, in the beginning, the hallmark of a healthy, of emotional and psychological health is your ability to process difficult emotions. And, and then I think the hardest thing for parents is that this idea that we can just be positive. It's like, it's like, um, it's intoxicating for parents. Cause we're like, Oh, you mean like there's a way that we could avoid feeling all these scary, uncomfortable, awful emotions about like what's going to happen with our kids and how they're handling things and what's going on with them. Like there's mm-hmm. a way we can avoid that. <laughs> and so they're like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But it just doesn't work that way. Thank you for listening. And I'm going to answer a lot of your listener Q and A's on my Instagram stories this week on at Raising Good Humans podcast. Have a wonderful week.